Sean shows up and he tells me about what a mess his life is. I remember the truth that he's really in the best spot he's ever been in his life because he needs God in a way that he's never needed God before. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Sean, you have a God that loves you more than you'll ever know. And although you're carrying the shame and guilt and you've done a lot of things wrong in your life, that and you have a God that loves you and wants to forgive you. He said, but are you willing at all costs to, to turn your life over completely to Jesus? It was at that time I had no idea what he was talking about, the depths of turn it all over. And I just remembered um, my conversations with Dave as if it were as if it were yesterday and how I was describing where I was a mess and I was at the bottom of, of life and, uh, and so I just kind of echoed some of the same truths that he shared from me from, from Christ's perspective which is so dense and so diabolically opposite of the world perspective. And he said, are you willing to give it all? And so that started the journey with John and I and, and trying to understand what this give it all is I just felt like I, I I was talking to somebody that wasn't judging me and um, wasn't gonna try and tell me um, what I needed to do but just allow me to kind of process what I was going through at the time as I get the opportunity to walk with him it's like God's revealing things all over again to me the blessing of being able to to, to to disciple other men and how he's done that is is just it's just phenomenal. Living in the freedom of Christ is something that I can't explain. But when you're so bound by chains and the sin and the, the shame and the guilt of everything that that was going on in me to now live knowing that I have absolutely no secrets, that my wife knows everything good and bad about me and each and every day when I lay my head I thank the Lord that and today I can be a man of integrity that truly does seek Him fully. The way that I say it is if, if John wouldn't answer the call in his own journey and made a commitment to walk the journey he had to walk with Christ and Dave and Terry Looper, that um, he wouldn't have been where, where he was when I called. And I... I think about that all the time. Like, what, what if while I'm sitting here, my phone rang, and it's a brother that needs help? But margin is the freedom that allows us that if we need to go spend time with a brother that's, boy, just hit rock bottom, we need to do that. But to see it lived out uh, and to witness it, uh, lives really dramatically change it's just the most powerful thing it's the most powerful thing I've ever experienced over the last few weeks in flock watchers we have uh, watched the story of John who felt like he was confused about spiritual matters felt like he was making all kinds of decisions to hurt the people he loved the most and somebody decided to invest in him to shepherd him to lead him with no agenda decided to be his friend for years and part of that began a journey of looking into spiritual matters and looking into God and the Bible. His newfound faith in God began to transform him. And then he felt like, I need to invest in someone else. And he met this man, who also was confused and had made some terrible decisions and hurt people he loved. 
and he got a chance to to revisit his own journey by seeing how God was using him to impact someone else. He was becoming a shepherd. He needed a shepherd, and then he became a shepherd. He needed somebody to mentor him, and then he became a mentor. He had developed the heart of a shepherd in caring for the people around him. Today we're going to talk about what it means to develop the heart of a shepherd the heart of God, but also the heart of a shepherd toward our kids, the heart of a shepherd toward our friends, the heart of a shepherd toward people who annoy us, the heart of a shepherd toward the people that, that we're supposed to lead. I can tell you, I have a tendency because I love to get stuff done. I just love getting stuff done. A great week is when lots of things are checked off and lots of things are accomplished. And with that, in the midst of doing lots of things, I have a tendency to miss out on the people around me. I so love the work, I sometimes forget about the workers. More than that, sometimes you have a worker that takes more time because they're getting in the way of what you're trying to accomplish. And so you end up resenting them or getting angry at them or getting annoyed at them rather than investing in them and having a heart for them. So sharing this several years ago with a friend of mine, and he said, you know, I I had somebody like that on my team, somebody who every time they spoke up, my skin crawled. Their voice annoyed me. Their comments seemed ridiculous. I just was angry. Do you have somebody like that? Raise your hand. No, no, don't raise your hand. Um, we've all had people like that. And, and you know, in the meeting like this, mm, yes. and inside you're like, what a moron. What, who would say that? That's the dumbest idea I've ever. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, thank you for that. And he said he began to take this phrase that Jesus talked about, about praying for your enemies and praying for those uh, that God would put blessings on those that, that you hate. And he began to say, I, I don't know, I'm proud of this, but I really hated this person. And I began to pray that God would bless her, that God would love on her, that God would bring the, his best to her. And I was amazed that over the next six months, my attitude went from hostile to neutral. And that was a huge progress. <laughs> then from six months through years, I continued to pray. I went from neutral to actually developing a love for her. And I can say that on my team, I began to really care for and love her as one of my team members, I began to, to, instead of avoid her, began to build into, and, and she became one of the most valuable team members. And I developed a heart for my sheep, even the ones that annoyed me. Well, that story really challenged me, because I had a, a few people that I felt that way toward, and I'll mention them now. No, I won't. Um, and uh, I also began to do the same thing. I began to pray. I began to allow God to change my heart, to say, God, I know I can be annoying, and you're so patient with me. I know... I can get in your way of what you're trying to accomplish, and you continue to work with me. You continue to invest in me. And I began to see that God's heart for me was the same heart I need to have for others. And it wasn't just that my attitude changed. I began to change as I began to take on the heart of my shepherd in leading the people around me. That's what we want to talk about the heart of a shepherd today. You see, shepherding, a shepherd leader is someone you become, not something you do. See, what we've talked about over the last eight weeks together has not been just techniques. You can get techniques anywhere. What Jesus and God and the Bible offers is he actually turns you or develops you into someone different. Your heart changes. Your attitude changes. You do some things differently, but those some things flow out of the someone you're becoming. And the someone you're becoming is because of the someone you've encountered. You've met a real shepherd, a new friend, a relationship with God, not a routine, not a ritual, but a relationship. So as we conclude the series today, I want to contrast flock watchers from clock watchers. 
in his parable or this teaching that Jesus gives, he says there, there's such thing as a flock watcher who has a, a heart for the sheep. Then there's a clock watcher who just puts in their time. And all of us want kids. We want companies. We want employees. We want teams that don't just put in their time. But they own the vision, they own the values, they own the morals, they own the vision, they own the the sense of identity that comes from being in our family, being in our company, being in our division. And, And being a flock watcher gives you a chance to see people become someone bigger and better. Because as you pour your heart into your child, you see them become someone that God has for them. You begin to pour your life into people that you're supervising or people you work with. And you see them become someone because of how you invested in them. You begin to model this new life of caring for and loving on other people. You're fulfilling your purpose and helping other people fulfill their purpose. And you say, why would I not want to give my life to this? Two aspects of flock watchers and three aspects of clock watchers. See, first, clock watchers, or rather flock watchers, know that leadership is a lifestyle, not a technique. Jesus shows up. He's talking to his disciples one day and says, I am the good shepherd. Now, if you're with us last week, we learned that hundreds of years earlier, God had said through the prophet Ezekiel that he was mad at the bad leadership going on in his organization. So he, God himself, was going to come to earth and be the shepherd. Jesus then... In John chapter 10 says, I am the fulfillment of that passage in Ezekiel. I am God coming to model what a flock watcher looks like. He doesn't say I do or I work. He says I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And what I want, my heart is to know my sheep. Not to see my sheep do good things. I can't wait for them to do good things. But long before that, I want to know you. You're far more valuable than what you do to God. You're far more valuable than what you look like. You're far more valuable than what you accomplish. God wants to know you. That's the heart of his heart. As the Father knows me, God says, Jesus says, I'm shepherded by the Father. And you know what he wants? He wants to know me. And since his heart is communicated to me, I want to pass it on. I want to know you. What if at the core, you felt like your parents wanted to really know you? If your friends really wanted to know you? Not use you for your networking, not use you for your finances, not use you for your connections. What would it be like if we actually had relationships built on really genuinely knowing each other? But notice that a flock watcher knows that great leadership is a lifestyle, it's not a technique. Jesus' knowing of other people flowed out of who he was. Because I am... The lifestyle, I do certain things. I want to know and care for those around me. Well, Ted McBride found that to be true. In our series, we've looked at a CEO of General Technologies named Ted McBride. He learned his leadership principles way back when he finished his MBA from a mentor named Jack Newman, who taught at the college. It was amazing over those eight weeks they spent together on Saturdays learning about leadership is that Ted spent time in Jack's home. I mean, it's one thing to have a great teacher who invests in you, but it's another thing for a teacher to invite you into their home. And he had been invited every week for eight weeks into the home of his mentor. He got to see how he interacted with his wife. He got to see his genuine concern for his sheep. He got to see his love for his students. 
Well, they were in their home one day. And he turned to Jack. He said, Jack, I can't believe it. This is the end of the journey that we've been on. He says, yeah, it's the end of the journey. He's like, I tell you, I have learned so much. I'm so thankful for what you've invested in me. I so appreciate, now that I'm graduating, the way in which I'm going to take these principles and try and use them to lead and be a flock watcher for these nine uh, folks in the uh, accounting department that I'm going to be in charge of. To which Jack said, well, your lesson's not over yet. Not over? What are you talking about? He goes, there's one last lesson, and it's this. Leadership has a high, high cost, especially the type of leadership I'm talking about. If you want to lead people in the way I've discussed, You need to realize that leadership always comes at a high price. And either you as a leader are going to pay the price by being the kind of shepherd we've talked about, or your flock will pay the price. If you remember weeks ago, we saw that fledgling flock that wasn't cared for, that had sickness and had stuff caught in their coat. Because of a bad leader who wasn't willing to invest and know his sheep and care for them and investigate them, the flock paid the cost of bad leadership. But the issue is, if you're going to be a great leader, it's also going to have a cost of time. Investing in people is hard. There's going to be disappointments. It's going to cost you emotionally as your heart breaks, as as they break. Are you willing to pay the cost? There's always a cost, but either the shepherd pays the cost or the sheep pays the cost. There's a difference between being a sheep and a hireling. Because what's a hireling? He says, well, a hireling is someone who just puts in their time, doesn't really invest and care for the sheep. He said, come with me. And they walked outside to his ranch. As they got outside to his ranch, he uh, walked out to the sheep. And the sheep immediately came to uh, Jack as he called for them. They recognized his voice. And as they came up, Ted was just amazed that he'd given each one of his sheep a name. Hey, here's Brown Ear. How you doing, buddy? Here's Black Eye. He knew all of his sheep by name that day. He said, watch this. They went over to the other side of the, uh, the field. And he called to them. And the sheep immediately came over to him. He said, well, now that you've been trained in being a shepherd, you want to try it? I could not make whatever that sound is. Oh, come on, come on, you can try it. Come on, Ted, you can do it. So Ted's like, all right. So they walked back over to the other side and he tried it. No, 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 no. You sound like Woody Woodpecker. That's not it at all. You need to go a little higher than that. And one of the sheep looked up. Went back to chewing. Try it again. No, a little lower. Oh, you're getting it. A couple of sheep looked over. Nobody came. On and on and on until finally Jack burst out laughing and said, oh, by the way, no matter what you do, it's not going to work. He said, what they found with sheep is sheep only respond to the voice of their shepherd because they don't know yet if they can trust a stranger. It doesn't matter if you get the sound right or it's even the right voice. They know my voice. They've learned to trust me because I've cared for them and loved them. They know the cost I've spent as their shepherd. And the same thing is true that those in your family, those in your company, those in your sphere of influence are going to know your heart. And they will say, I either have learned to trust them or I haven't. Flock watchers. It's a lifestyle, not just a technique. The second thing Jesus goes on to say is that flock watchers know that every day you need to decide. This isn't like once you decide... Every day you need to decide who's going to pay for your leadership, you or your people. Every day you decide, will the the flock not feel invested and cared for because I wanted to live more conveniently? Or did I want to pay the price for good leadership and good direction and creating this kind of ownership environment? Here's how Jesus says it. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd 
gives, not takes, his life for the sheep. But a hireling is not like a shepherd. A hireling is not the shepherd. In other words, you can hire somebody to take care of sheep. You can hire people to be managers. You can hire people to be supervisors. You can even hire somebody to be babysitters. But being a parent, being a leader, being a coach that practices these kind of leadership, it's going to cost something. You give your life to your sheep. People often come up to me after a message like, Chad, why do you share so much about your struggles, about your family? Don't your kids want to kill you after a message? Like, well, I do ask permission. But even your wife, I cannot believe she lets you get away with saying that kind of stuff. But it's because I'm not here to give a message. I'm here to give my life. Here's how the Bible's wrestling with me. Here's how God is wrestling with me. Here's what I'm learning. Here's where I'm growing. I'm trying to model what a shepherd does. I give my life. My tears, my joys, my mountains, my valleys. Because that's what flock watchers do. We care about the people we lead. And a flock watcher is not a clock watcher. And Jesus talks about this hireling here. Three aspects to a hireling or a clock watcher. Somebody who just puts in their time. Number one, clock watchers lack ownership. And if you don't have ownership, why would your people have ownership? She says, you see, one who does not own the sheep, a hireling, he sees a wolf coming and he's like, I'm out of here. I don't get paid enough for this. And he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And a lot of times we have kids who don't own our values because we demanded obedience rather than imparting a value system. As I challenged us weeks ago to ask our kids, Am I living a kind of life that you would want to have for yourself? If the answer is no, then I need to start living something that's attractive. People want to own something that's been modeled to them. If I'm just putting in time, the sheep know it. And they're just going to put in time. It lacks the ownership of saying, I want that. I want to own that. Haven't we all worked for companies like that? I remember a job one time. I came into this environment thinking it was going to be great. And after two weeks, I realized it was micromanagement galore. No decisions could be made without the enlightened them, them from the other office. They knew everything. They had never been in your particular area. They had never studied whether it was multimedia or whether it was creativity. They never even read the book that you were basing the whole thing on, but they knew what you should do. So no decision could be made without them. Well, that's how it was going to operate. So you think I had any ownership? I worked at that church for a year and a half, and I didn't even realize it, is I kept referring to our church as your church with the other staff members. One of my staff members, a friend of mine, pulled me aside. She said, Chad, do you realize you've been here a year and a half and still in staff meetings when we talk about our church, you refer to it as your church, not meaning I was saying your church, not our church. I said, wow, that's true. That's so unlike me. I love own. Then I realized the environment of micromanagement and lack of giving empowerment. What was coming out in my nonverbals was, oh, yeah. This is actually accurate. This isn't my church, my ministry, my department, my area. I'm just implementing somebody somewhere's enlightened vision, and I'm just an executor. I didn't own it. Remind me of a uh, formula I came across years ago. It's both for parenting and for management. It's that R minus A equals F. You give somebody responsibility, but you don't give them the actual authority (laughs) to do that responsibility, and it always leads to frustration. And haven't we all been there? 
Oh, you've got the responsibility to accomplish this, but no authority to do it. Or you wonder why you're frustrated. And sheep are either going to be frustrated and they're going to go find another leader, another place to work, and you're going to lose good people, all because you followed this formula. Rather than a good shepherd says, I want to give you responsibility and authority. I'm going to give you parameters to work within. And if you get outside of that, come check with me. But I want to empower you to get your purpose in your life and your investment done right here in this place. That's what I want. I want my kids not just to know dad and mom believe this or think this is important. I want them to see that we model that family is important, that integrity is important. I want them to see that, that caring for one another and, and listening to one another is, is critical. And it doesn't always work. And as many times I'm sitting there, guys, I feel like I'm doing this. I don't feel like it's very reciprocal. Let's talk about that. I know, I know. I'm trying to impart these values to them. How do you do that, though? How do you create ownership? How do you create ownership, for instance, in a blended family? I read a story this week about a woman. Her husband went on and, uh, and married another woman. This man who married this other woman was called into a radio station. So you can put the picture up on the screen just so people can see who they are. So David had married Jane Abram, and he had previously been married to Brenda. He gets called into a radio station who gave away, like, Disney wishes, making wishes come true. As they showed up into the radio studio, he said, I, I want to let you know that uh, we, we got a letter from someone who wanted to grant a wish to you and to your spouse. Had no idea who it was. No idea what it was all about. See, his wife, Brenda, had passed away 18 months earlier from cancer. They had all the difficulties of, of watching her slowly pass away. But what he didn't know is that before she died, she wrote a letter to the radio station asking them to grant a wish to her husband and whoever he might one day find to be his wife, who had also raised her two kids that she loved so dearly. She gave the letter to a friend and said, hey, I don't know if it'll take two years or ten years, but when my husband finds someone else, I want her to know that she has my blessing. Sure enough, 18, two years later, he met, uh, he met uh, Jane here. And they had called in the radio station, and they began to read this letter. And in this letter, Brenda, who had passed away, said, not knowing Jane's name, I want you to know how much I love you, how much I want the best for you, how much I hope happiness for you, and what a great husband he was to me. And he just begins bawling in the radio station. He had no idea. He goes, this is just the kind of thing my wife would have done. One of the wishes was that she would get a day of pampering. He goes, you're going to be trying to raise my two kids. That's going to be, you're going to need some pampering. And they gave her a day at the spa. She brought in two of her own kids, so it was actually a blended family of four. And then they sent them all on a Disney vacation together. But all of this came from a mother who knew that her life was coming to an end, but wanted to bless the stepmother. Wanted the kids to know she affirmed her husband moving on and, and finding joy. And the ownership that created in the family, the blessing that communicated through a woman who had enough foresight to say, I want to shepherd my kids even after my death. It's powerful. And we want to create families and leaders and teams that, that aren't clock watchers because clock watchers lack ownership. They don't own the values. They own the heart. But they also, the second thing we learn about clock watchers is they don't risk or persevere. And we find out why, Jesus says. The reason they don't risk, the reason they don't persevere is because a clock watcher is just putting in time. Jesus says the hireling does not 
care about the sheep. They only care about the work. They only care about the results. But a flock watcher cares about the sheep, knows the sheep, wants to know the hurts and the pains and the difficulties. But not a clock watcher. A clock watcher flees when the wolf comes because he does not care. And Jesus says, I'm not like that. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And more than that, I am known by my sheep. Entrepreneurial Magazine had this great article about how to create ownership and how ownership can't really be given. It can only be taken. I love the uh, top of the, uh, uh, the magazine there. Are you a boss hole? I don't want to be a boss hole. That's, that's no good. Here's what it says in Entrepreneurial Magazine. As I define it, accountability is something assigned or given. I can assign accountability. I can instruct an employee to perform a task or even accomplish a goal. But in effect, I still own the task and the goal. I tell the employee what to do. I can define success and create matrix to measure that success. That's accountability. That employee takes responsibility for getting done what I want. But ownership is different. It isn't assigned or given. It's taken. I can't appoint ownership. It happens when an employee comes forward and says, I want to make this happen. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I will accomplish. And here's how I will measure progress. Ownership means saying you will is unnecessary because the employee has already said I will. People who take ownership, because ownership is taken, naturally have the habit of exposing problems because those issues get in the way of their success. They want to overcome problems. They'll raise the issues. They'll admit shortcomings. They'll ask for help. All because they want to succeed. People given accountability, on the other hand, tend to hide problems. They tend to not raise issues. They tend to not ask for help. If you hire people such that you have to assign accountability, you build a company where leaders implement their ideas by forcing processes and procedures. If you hire owners, you build a company where employees are engaged and satisfied because they thrive in a culture of autonomy and independence. Hire owners. People care a lot more when someone, and something is theirs, their idea, their process, their responsibility. They care the most when they feel they're depended on, given authority to make important decisions and do what's right. Higher owners foster a culture of ownership. I love that idea. It's exactly what Jesus is describing. Now, clock watchers don't care. They don't own. And thirdly, the third thing Jesus says is they don't sacrifice themselves for the sheep. Clock watchers always sacrifice the sheep for themselves. Clock watchers sacrifice the sheep for the shepherd. As the father knows me, even so I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I sacrifice for them. I care for them. I love them. And other sheep I have which are not in this fold. He's talking to Jewish people. He's saying, I love the Jews and the Gentiles. Everyone is welcome. He's saying here. I also must bring. I'm going to die for them too. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, Jews and Gentiles, what ultimately became the church. And they will have one shepherd. Therefore, he says, my father loves me. He has a heart for me because I lay down my life. He's predicting his death and resurrection, but he's also predicting a way of leading where we give our lives to the people. We lay down our lives for those. The people we know know that we not only love them, that we would sacrifice for them. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And one of the ways I became a better shepherd is I used to invite, and I will still do it in the future, I invite people with different belief systems to our church. We've had Muslims, we've had agnostics, we've had atheists, we've had Buddhists up on the stage. Years ago, I had a man who was a rabbi on stage. As we were dialoguing together, he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, sure. 
So with three minutes for the service to end, he turned to me and said, who killed Jesus? I thought, wow, that's weird. Of all the questions to ask, who killed Jesus? So I thought for a moment, and I said, well, I, I did. It's because of what I did wrong that he died. So I guess if, if I had to blame who killed Jesus, I'd say I did. It was my wrongdoing. But if I was actually technically accurate, it wasn't that I killed Jesus. It's that Jesus says no one took the life from him. He purposely gave it. He saw my need for forgiveness. He saw my need to be freed from shame. He saw my need to not live up to my own standards. And he chose to give it for me. I said, why do you ask that question? Which was naive of me. He says, because for years, as many of you know, Christians have been doing horrible things in blaming the Jews for killing Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus, which is so bizarre. It's the Romans who killed him, if you're going to be accurate. But even here, Jesus says, no one's going to kill me. I have the power to choose. I gave my life. Who killed Jesus? Jesus did. Jesus chose to be the kind of leader that said, I'm willing to give of myself for others. It's reading about a boss. He's a supervisor at a sports medicine university. And he prides himself on taking on vindictive administrators and bad policies. So he turned to his uh, leaders in his department and says, hey, we're going to accomplish some great things this year. So I want you to dream big. I want you to think how we can break through some of these barriers. And I want you to know I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you from all the vindictive administrators who don't like the way we might be pushing policies. I'm going to protect you from stuff. And here's my motto, guys. My job as the leader is to push up the umbrella when the crap hits the fan. And your job is to not make me have to do it too often. And he's talked about how his, his followers, the folks on his team, felt protected and cared for, given the freedom to, to, to dream a little bit more and work outside of, the, of the, 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 the boxes were put in place. And they knew that they had a leader who was going to try and push for them and, and, and fight for them and risk for them and put his own reputation on the line for them and how important that was. That's exactly what Jesus does. I encourage you last week to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I'm sure most of you have done all of them by now. Um, if you've never read any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, whether you believe it or not, tell you read about Jesus. Even if you think he's a fable, read about him. We go watch the Avengers. I don't think Thor is real, but go watch it, read it. And what you're going to find is you're going to want him to be real. Because the way he sacrifices, and not just for people he cares about. I mean, that's actually amazing. But imagine... You have a crown of thorns, two to three inch thorns, shoved into your head. You're spit upon. Your beard is, handfuls of beard are ripped out. You're bleeding from your hair ripped out. Imagine you're spit upon. Imagine you're hanging in what was an ancient version of water torture wouldn't even be the way to do it. Imagine the worst possible torture that's ever been created by the Romans. It was designed not to kill you, but to make you drag on the slowest possible death ever. That's when the Romans invented crucifixion. In fact, the word um, that we get for uh, crucifixion, excruciating pain, actually comes from, it means out of the cross. The kind of stuff that came out of people's mouths when they were put through the torture of crucifixion, was excruciating. It was, couldn't be categorized it was so bad. So they made a new term. And Jesus, in this excruciating pain, stands there boldly, taking it, not only like a man, but taking like, this is what I'm here for. I am here giving my life. I want to be here. You want to be here. 
And he looks down and he dies such a triumphant death, such an honorable death, such a powerful death, that a Roman centurion who had seen millions, at least thousands of men die, because he crucified them all the time, he watches this guy die in this honorable way, giving his life and says, I have never seen somebody die like that. Surely, and this guy's a skeptic, surely that was a son of God. Anyone who would die. And right before he dies, he looks at people like the Roman guard who, who put him up there. He looks up to heaven and says, God, you know I am here. I want to look at these people who've done this to me. Father, will you forgive them? For they don't know what they're doing. What kind of love? What kind of leadership? What kind of conviction? What kind of strength? What kind of power does this guy have? It's not something. He's someone. And that's the thing about this kind of leadership. It's someone you become, not something that you do. Because when you come face to face with this someone who is Jesus, this shepherd that is Jesus, this warrior that is Jesus, this tender warrior that is Jesus, that someone makes you transform into someone differently. And you then pass that on and begin to invest in other people who transform into someone because of how you invest your life and your heart. So some questions I had for myself, and maybe they'll be challenging to you. What is one way that I could become a better flock watcher versus a clock watcher? Who could I sacrifice for? What does it mean to sacrifice for my kids, to sacrifice for my wife, to sacrifice for my husband, rather than thinking they're always going to sacrifice for my goals? What does it look like to sacrifice for my employees, to give myself to those who are in my sphere of influence? What is one way, just one way that I could change? I'm starting to get this clock watcher mindset at work. And even though I can't change how I'm being led, I can change how I'm going to be in the midst of it. And, as John Patchell found at the beginning, do you have a flock watcher in your life to imitate? If you don't have a good one humanly, I'm telling you, read about Jesus and you find an amazing one heavenly. And he becomes the pattern by which you can live. He becomes the shepherd. So I had a grad party last week, or yesterday rather, and we were talking about the weather and sports, and I talked to this Marine, and he came up. I said, oh, where'd you serve? He's someone about his Marine. He's a linguistics guy. He spoke you know, eight or nine languages. And I said, well, tell me about your story. He said, well, I was an agnostic. I'd read Voltaire. I'd read Plato. I said, oh, I love those books. He said, yeah, I just felt like the problem of evil and, and God's existence was insurmountable until I met someone, a fellow guy who was a follower of Christ, and that someone had something I wanted in his life, peace and joy and purpose. And he began to invest in me. He asked me to help him, the atheist, help him find a church. In fact, I started going to a Bible study and they asked me, the atheist, to lead the, the Bible study so I would ask the harder questions. So I came in there ready to just pound at them with all these questions about why they were morons. And I got done and they're all like, well, that was very helpful. Could you lead again? I said, so you were an atheist Bible study leader? He's like, yeah. And they enjoyed it. And he said, in that experience of being loved on, cared for, invested in, brought me in one day, I can tell you exactly the day, I became a follower of Christ myself because I saw someone invest in me and wanted to become a someone like that. That's what it means to be a shepherd. That's what it means to follow a shepherd who gives you not everything that you could always want, but everything you could need. Let's watch.
Well, maybe as we conclude this series, maybe you need to hold on to that promise. Maybe you feel alone just because you're moved to a place in your career where you don't know who to trust. You need to know you have someone you can trust. Maybe you're at a place where you've been through a difficult time. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a relational issue and you feel like a marriage and you feel like just so alone. Maybe you're single again. God says, call out to me and feel my heart, my shepherd's heart for you. You're not alone. I am with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Meditate on my promises day and night. Do not turn to the left or to the right and know that I am with you. Be strong and very courageous, he says. If you want that kind of promise, you want to just anchor that promise into your heart. Let me give you a chance to respond to God in that way. Just close your eyes if that's helpful and just say something to God like this. God, make me into someone like you. Forgive me for some things I've done. Forgive me for the someone I allowed myself to become. Forgive me. Lead me. And teach me how to sacrifice for others the way you've sacrificed for me. God, we thank you for being such a great God. We thank you for the freedom and the forgiveness and the joy and the peace we find in relationship with you. Thank you for being the dad and the leader and the boss that invests in us and becomes the perfection of everything we ever wanted or needed. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We have really enjoyed this leadership journey together in Flock Watchers. Next week, we start a brand new series called Wow Moments. Ken Kington and I will be leading this. A little Batman going on. We got wow and kaboom and powie. So we'll see you all next week as we begin that series. Thanks again.